Thanks for tuning into the XL Legal Podcast, an interview-based podcast for lawyers devoted to practice excellence and wellness tips. I'm your host, Shelley Appleby-Ostroff, legal talent development consultant, writing coach, and former practicing lawyer. And I'm so happy you're here. Today, I'm super excited to be speaking with productivity expert Anne Gomez for the second time on the podcast. Anne was the very first guest on the podcast back in May of 2020. And since then, she's been doing all sorts of wonderful things to help busy professionals develop effective productivity skills and habits, including writing a new book called Workday Warrior, A Proven Path to Reclaiming Your Time, which I am so looking forward to discussing with Anne today. So welcome back to the XL Legal Podcast, Anne. Thank you, Shelley. I'm so excited to be back. Well, thanks so much for being here. How about getting us started by introducing yourself? Sure. Yeah, I am. I lead a training company called Clear Concept, and we work with a number of professionals, a lot of lawyers, and our whole vision is to create a workplace where we can all thrive. And a big part of that is how we work independently, our productivity. We also help people with how they collaborate, delegate, share feedback, et cetera. Um, we talk about mindset and we talk about well-being. So we we lead a number of different training programs around helping people really make the most of their work experience. Love it. And I can imagine you have many lawyers as clients. Yeah, yeah. We And we love working with lawyers. And sometimes lawyers are like... Um, Come again? Did you did you say you love working with us? And we do, we really love working with lawyers because they push us to sharpen our thinking. I think few professionals, few people out there are as busy as lawyers. Um, few face the pressures that lawyers face, and few um, are as you know discerning in their thinking as lawyers. So that's what I love about working with lawyers is it really pushes us to make sure we're bringing the best of the best. Yeah. Keep you on your toes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, that's a efficient way to say it, Shelly. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So let's jump into um, talking about your book. And first off, I just wanted to know what inspired you to write it, Workday Warrior? I believe this is the book every busy person needs to read. It's a summary of the program we've been teaching to busy people, like busy lawyers, for the last two decades. And it's a book I've mean, been meaning to write for quite a while. Uh, but last year, I I put aside the time and, and said, I'm, I'm making it happen. Uh, so that's that's the, the first reason. Um, but the deeper reason is that this is the book I needed two decades ago. I was a management consultant and working hard, like all professionals need to work hard. Like it's, it's a, a demanding profession. Uh, but I was working harder than I needed to work. And I look back now and realize that there were people who had figured out these productivity principles and were able to manage their workload much better than I was. So I started to really start study them and examine what they were doing differently. And that's what launched me into productivity two decades ago. And so now you've just encapsulated it all into one highly readable and digestible book, like lucky us. My first question is about the title. Like, what is a workday warrior? Oh, good question. Yes. Uh, so, workday warrior is not somebody who battles with their day, but rather someone who works through their day with finesse, with expertise. Right? A warrior is someone who almost captivates you. 
with their level of skill, right? They're in the zone. They almost make it look effortless. So whereas a lot of people feel like they have to battle with their to-do list or battle with their schedule, a warrior is someone who moves through it and and with such grace and such expertise. And so that's the cap the the concept that I'm trying to bring to people. Being a workday warrior is someone who thrives in a, a very full career, but not at the expense of their personal life. So sleep, exercise, friends, family, like there is time for all of that. And I have seen that that these principles do work for busy professionals like lawyers. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, very much needed. But I'm thinking, too, that there are so many time management and productivity books out there. So what distinguishes Workday Warrior from the other resources available? Well, first of all, I have to say there's a lot of great books out there. I'm an avid reader, and I could cite a number of books that I've learned so much from. At the same time, time management is still a challenge for people. So what I would say to anybody who has read a lot uh, is whether it's working for you. And I find a lot of people are still struggling with not enough time, too many priorities. And for that, I say, I recommend the three strategies I highlight in my book. So then the main distinction, well, from what I can see, because I've read a lot of time management books and articles and various things. And yeah, as you say, still struggling with certain things, but it really seems to be a very streamlined approach. Like that's the book is so well organized uh, and the power of three, you know, the three steps and then um, each part of the book addresses one of those steps. So I don't know, for me, it was just so easy to navigate through it and also um, to retain the information. Um, anyway, I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk too much about your work. I'd love to hear from your perspective, but just to tell you that that's what I found incredibly effective. I'm so happy to hear you say that, Shelley. I think it's so important to present concepts to people in a very digestible way. So we work really hard, my team and I, to make our recommendations practical because let's face it, everyone's busy. So I, the last thing we all have time for is some complicated formula that would take hours or weeks to implement. My goal with writing this book was to distill it down in a very practical way to the core elements that make a big difference. Yeah. And you offer some suggestions on how to use the book, which I thought um, were quite novel. Perhaps we can talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think about this book as a mini training program. And like you said, there's three parts to the book. And I recommend people read the book in three parts. So week one, read part one and read it with somebody else. And you don't have to read, read it out loud to each other, but each go off, read part one and and then meet and talk about the concepts, share the tool that I recommend in part one, which is a map. And I can talk more about that. Uh, and then regroup. And maybe it's week two, or maybe you skip a week, depending on your, your schedule. You do part two, and then you come back together and do part three. And So that accountability partner is a key element of any change initiative, any skill you're trying to adopt. It helps to have accountability. It helps to have a plan in place about when you're meeting. Uh, because what happens with self-directed learning, which, you know, books 
enable self-directed learning is we can buy it with the best of intentions and then it can sit on a, a corner of a desk for months or years. And so the accountability partner helps you to work through the book. Yeah, I could see that as being incredibly helpful. I'm just I'm looking at my bookshelf and I see all these, you know, um, books that I've read a couple of chapters of or I've bought and I have the great intention of reading and it doesn't happen. But just being accountable with somebody else, I can see how that would be incredibly motivating. Uh, yeah, yeah. So how about we dig into the the three parts? Okay, absolutely. So do you want me to talk about part one? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, excellent. So in part one, I talk about one of the biggest productivity challenges that we face in, in this modern day, which is people trying to do too much at once. And I'm sure many of your listeners could say, yep, that pretty much describes my list. <laughs> and so what I talk about there are having in part one is the, the need for crystal clarity around your three core priorities. Now, for most private practice lawyers, that would be client work, non-billable work. Um, the third category, third core priority could be practice group management. It could be business development. Uh, it could be volunteer work. Uh, but really what we want to do is we want to think about our work in major categories. When we're wearing our client hat, we focus on the, let's say, the 10 different active files we have on the go. When we're wearing our business development hat, we want to focus on the, you know, the long list of opportunities available to us. And when we think about our work in categories like that, it really allows us to rank our work in a much more effective way. So the tool I talk about, your map, is your main action plan. This is a strategic to-do list. I, I like to compare it to a to-do list because that's the closest relative to it, but it's so much more effective than a to-do list. Uh, to-do lists tend to be very ineffective for people. Um, so I'm, I like to suggest people introduce a main action plan, a map, to replace their to-do list. And this is where they capture their work according, aligned to their core priorities. They rank their work based on deadline. They use it to drive a big impact and kind of many more benefits that I outline in the book. And, and this, is, this is a very simple tool that drives your, your daily plan. It's a collaboration tool you use with perhaps your leader or with your assistant. Um, it's a tool you can, your the associate working with you very closely could share their map with you so you can help to them to prioritize their work. So it's a very strategic tool and it's a game changer. We've been helping busy people like lawyers implement this over the past like two decades, like I said, and people consistently come back and tell us like that has changed how I work. Mm -hmm. uh, so in the book, I really try and lay out the very practical how-to steps of how to build the map. And what does it, I mean, what does the finished product look like? And where would you do it? Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm so old school, pen and paper. I'm sorry to say, but I love my to-do list. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm open to suggestions. But yeah, so I'm, for me, that was a big question. Like, where do I do it? And what does it look like? For... Most people working for big organizations, they are often using Outlook email and there's a, a feature in Outlook called Outlook Tasks. And that's what we find a lot of people use for their map. Uh, other people use OneNote, uh, Microsoft OneNote. There are a number of different to-do apps that you could use for your to-do list or note-taking uh, tools like Evernote. 
Um, those work, but tend not to be supported by large organizations. So Outlook Tasks and OneNote tend to be the most popular tools to use uh, uh, to build your map. I, I have to say, Shelley, I, I hear you about the paper list. I used to be a paper list person myself. I don't suggest the paper list now because they get messy like within two hours and then you have to rewrite them or it becomes a non-strategic tool because it's things are out of order. It's not complete. And you don't have time, Shelley, as a busy person to be rewriting your list. So the electronic list is kind of one and done as you onboard new work, new commitments, you add it to your map. And you don't have to re-evaluate when you're going to do that work based on when you've integrated into your map. Hmm. So the electronic tools are the preferred options or the best case scenario. Okay. Um, I will take it under advisement. Uh, you know, that being said, I'm just trying to get a sense of like, what does it look like? Because I kind of just see it as an electronic version of what I'm writing in my little notebook. Exactly. Yes. I think it, it's an electronic list. Like the, like I said, the closest relative is a to-do list. So let's say after you kind of take an individual advisement, I love that. That's <laughs> well said, Shelly, is uh, you say, okay, I'm going to try Outlook tasks. In Outlook tasks, you can set up categories. So one category would be uh, client work or billable. Another category would be non-billable. Another category might be practice group. Right? So it depends what the categories are for each individual. And under the client work, let's say you had 10 active clients on the go. Each of those clients, there were three different tasks that you needed to do over the next few weeks. That's a total of 30 different tasks. And so we want what we want in Outlook tasks is we want that to capture all 30 of those tasks. What most people do is they have a variety of systems. They use their memory, they use a paper note, they flag something in a paper folder, they um, might mark a deadline in their calendar, they might flag an email or mark an email as unread. So they have this variety of different systems to remember what they have to do. And this creates chaos, frankly. You have to look in all these different systems. Um, inevitably, things slip through the cracks. We cannot remember everything. Our mind is for having ideas, not holding ideas. Uh, our short-term memory has a limited capacity. So things are inevitably going to slip through the cracks. And so instead of that kind of disparate, disjointed approach to managing your priorities, I'm suggesting this consolidated list. It really does make great sense. I'm just also wondering too, like, do you keep adding to it as things come up? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're, a lot of people keep email open all day long on their second screen. I don't recommend that. That's very distracting. You don't need to respond to emails instantaneously. You can check email every half hour and the world will continue spinning. Everything will be fine. If every, if there is any urgent email, someone will call you and say, Hey, Shelly, can you just alerting you? I just sent you an email and you take a look right away. Instead of email, I'll open on the second screen. I recommend you keep your map open on the second screen. And you can add and remove things from the map as needed throughout the day. Okay. Okay. So it's organized by those core priorities. Absolutely. Yes. You know, it's it's really about your map is about how you operationalize, how you bring your, 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 your plan, your business plan to life. It's strategic. It's day to day. Like it's, it's really the mothership 
for how you run your practice. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like it's flexible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing that jumped out at me too, and I guess because I'm sort of looking for confirmation that my to-do list is okay, this idea of a daily plan, you mentioned that that works in conjunction with the map. Yes, absolutely. So I use the term mothership, like your your map is your mothership. This is the full one-stop shop, everything I want to do from today till three months from now, even to next year, right? Like this is captures everything that I want to do, everything I've committed to do, all my deadlines, tasks, et cetera. I do want to plan my day, as you said, Shelley. I think about the, the daily plan as the satellite ship. And so I plan my day. And the best time to plan your day is at the end of, as you're wrapping up today, you want to plan for tomorrow. Because planning your day is a simple administrative task. It's not, it's, it's not it doesn't take prime energy. Let's not use your... Mo- early morning prime energy to plan your day. Let's wrap up your work today by planning for tomorrow. And I consult my map. So I I look two weeks down the road and and I'm thinking about what I need to do tomorrow. And that's how I plan for tomorrow. Now, when I plan my day, I cannot plan for every minute of my day because I know work is going to come in. I know I'm going to have to respond to emails. I know I'm going to have to follow up on meetings. I know clients or colleagues might call me to say, hey, Anne, can you do this right away? So if I list 19 things on my daily plan for tomorrow, there's a good chance I'm not going to get 19 things done. So we really want to make sure those daily plans are realistic so that when we finish each day, we feel this great sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Now, I, love, I really like the idea of planning like the night before. Um, yeah, I, I've made that shift and it's it's huge. Um, really, really helpful in so many ways. Um, but just before we um, we move on to the second part of the book, another question I had about, you talked about identifying your three core priorities. Well, what about other things? I mean, not everything fits within one of our core priorities. Mm-hmm. It's so true. Right. And, and those things have to get done. Like if you go to a conference, you likely need to prepare an expense report for to be reimbursed for that those expenses. I doubt you would say expenses. That's one of my core priorities, right? Like that's just something that has to get done or, you know, submitting your CPD hours. These things have to get done, but they aren't necessarily core priorities. So I call those supporting tasks. And there is a lot in there that has to get done. And so that would be another category I'd capture on your map. Uh, but then this leads into part two of the book, which is we want to be protecting time for our core priorities first. We want to pay ourselves first with our core priorities and then let the supporting tasks kind of fill in the gaps around there. So if I have five minutes before a meeting, that might be a time to go in and, and um, answer a few emails, uh, read a blog post I wanted to read, log my CPD hours, a quick supporting task. But that doesn't mean I want to block prime energy time for supporting tasks. I want to save my prime energy time for my core priorities. Okay, so that's something that um, you talk a lot about in the second part of the book, fortifying, I believe, was um, was the t- general topic or theme. Uh, yeah, so how do we know what our peak energy times are, and how do we how do we use that knowledge to organize our day? Because that's something that I took away from the book, and I thought was also very helpful. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the whole pay yourself first, right? A lot of us are very reactive with our days. We Our calendar is wide open for others to book meetings at any time. And so we we let the meetings run our day uh, or we let email run our day, which is very reactive. And then in our leftover time, we do our own focus work, right? So that is not the solution I recommend. Uh, I once heard a lawyer say that he would be kind of running around all day, meetings, emails, follow, meeting follow-up. And then in the evening, he would do his own work. But the problem is in the evening, he was tired, which is true for most people. Most of us, our peak energy is in the morning. And then we have an afternoon trough about seven hours after we wake. And then we have a recovery late afternoon, early evening. Now, early birds start earlier than the rest of the majority of the population. Night owls would have their energy fluctuations flipped. So their recovery would be in the morning. They still have that trough seven hours after they wake. And their peak would be late afternoon, early evening. It's not at 11 o'clock at night, even for the night owls. So we, so, I mean, honestly, we each have to examine when's our peak energy. And once I started to study this chronobiology, I realized that I want, my best time is in the morning. I'm not a a. 5am-er, but my best time is, is between 7 and 11. And so I try and push my meetings to after 11am. And I try and protect us. And it's not always perfect. Like there are meetings in, in, in the morning that I, so I'm not expecting to protect all of this time. If, you know, if your top client says, can you meet at 9 a.m.? I don't suggest you say, oh, sorry, that's my focus time. No, like take the meeting. Um, but where you can influence the time of the meeting, push them away from your prime energy time. So I try and do my focus work, independent focus work in the morning. And yes, I still do some reactive work. Like I still do some email, but I really try and keep that minimal because I'm really trying to focus on my independent work, my deep thinking in the morning. And then I'll have my majority of meetings in the afternoon. So that's one example of how I'm, I'm creating, I'm fortifying boundaries and I'm paying myself first. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Um, it's first of all, it, it's a way of understanding ourselves better, you know, knowing when we have our peak energy times and recognizing that that's we should be taking advantage of that and really using it to do the work that matters most and i guess i'm thinking too like how do we keep from let's say you say 7 till 11 is you know your your peak time how do you keep from working straight for 4 hours oh yeah and we should not do that i mean we're not machines we're people we're humans we do need to balance our focus work with being accessible so First of all, I suggest you get up and move like probably every hour. Our bodies were not designed to sit. Our bodies are designed to move. I actually have a treadmill desk in my home office, Shelly, which I love to use. And I'll do some of my independent focus work and my internal meetings from my treadmill desk. Um, but if you, it, you know, bearing a treadmill desk, which I recognize not everyone has, uh, getting up and stretching is so helpful. I also suggest you have a focus routine where, like I said earlier, you do not need to respond to emails instantaneously. Even if you are a first-year associate and you really feel like you are kind of at the beck and call of your more senior colleagues, I would suggest you adopt, at a minimum, a 20-minute focus routine. So that is, you know, email alerts are off, emails minimized, the phone is 
is on silent and you are focusing on your 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 work work for 20 minutes and then you can go and take a look at messages do a scan for that and respond to any um any messages that have come in and then come back and do 20 minutes so it's kind of like this 2010 rotation throughout the morning and intersperse some breaks in there that is where you make the most of your time and it, of course you can vary it can be a 45 15 routine like you can vary this depending on the day depending on your work your personal working style uh, but what we know is that this multitasking where i keep email open all day long does not work <laughs> i have this um, simple exercise i walk audiences through to show that like if i'm trying to draft a document and i'm constantly looking over an email which you know could a new email can come in every every minute then i am going to it's going to take me easily twice as long if not longer to draft a document my quality of work will go down i'll probably make mistakes and i will feel more stressed so we know i mean in an industry where every six minutes counts right for the private practice lawyers um but you know for the general counsel lawyers it's the the, the volume of work is just as uh as demanding we know time is money and so we want to make the most of that time and and so this focus approach is the most efficient and effective way to work and i really like what you're saying about switching that task like saying okay 20 minutes focus work and then 10 minutes but 10 minutes only on email so there are sort of parameters around each of those activities and it also helps lawyers who i've talked to say you know when i suggest this idea of taking breaks or not looking at their email during a certain period of time they're like i like i cannot do that i just can't my practice doesn't work that way and so if you can just say all right well focus for 20 minutes certainly you can avoid looking at your email for 20 minutes and then 10 minutes on uh, i don't know yeah. Yeah, and I get pushback a lot from lawyers on this. Like the associates will say, "Well, I've got to respond to the partner right away," or and the partner will say, "Well, I've got to respond to the client right away." I think it's so important to push back on this. First of all, people will call us if it's urgent. As a society, we do not send an email when the sky is falling, right? Like we have other ways to get in touch with each other. We text, we send a, a chat. We call, we walk by their office, like we send a drone to hover over their house. Like we, there are ways to find each other when something truly is urgent, right? Shelly, have you ever gotten the phone call? Hey, Shelly, I just sent you an email. <laughs> Way too many times. Yeah. <laughs> I call that your safety net. That gives you the permission to minimize your email for 20 minutes. And during that 20 minutes, yes, emails will come in. But they won't all come in the second you minimize email. They're going to come in randomly. So on average, during that 20 minutes, so and it's going to follow like the bell curve. So on average, emails will sit for half of the time you've been away for e from email. So in this case, if you take 20 minutes to focus on a document and then you go back to email, on average, those emails have been sitting in your inbox for 10 minutes. Hmm. Now, let's say I'm an associate. And I see an email from the partner I work most closely with. I'm going to go to that email first. And it's been 10 minutes since that partner sent me an email. I do not need to respond with, hi, partner. I'm sorry it has taken me so long to respond. Yeah, good point. 
<laughs> yeah. So I think it, like it's so important for us to all just step back and have some perspective about the the urgency of email. It is it is an asynchronous tool. It's designed for you to send me an email when it works for you, and I will respond when it works for me. Now, I am not suggesting you wait six hours, but if I'm in a meeting, I can't respond to an email, right? And so I will respond to that email maybe 40 minutes later when I'm out of the meeting, right? That's okay. Yeah. And I think that's a really important message uh, to get across. Yeah. Um, yeah. So any other other things on the sort of the fortify part that we haven't touched on? I think we've touched on that. Like the key thing there is stop multitasking uh, because that just, just erodes your time, leads to lower quality work, creates more stress. So really stop the multitasking. And, and secondly, uh, build your routine, right? To start to pay yourself first around what's most important for your work, right? So for private practice lawyers, I talk a lot about What's your billable goal uh, for each day? And how are you protecting time for that throughout the day? Interspersed with breaks, non-billable, responsive activities like responding to emails, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So then part three, I love this part. (laughs) I love part three too. So part three is simplified. And this is what is needed for anybody who as they rise up in their career and the volume of work increases and their personal life gets busier, maybe they buy a house, maybe they have kids, maybe they have now pets, they have parents that require more of their time, right? Or they have volunteer commitments, right? Like life gets busier in our personal and our professional lives. So I know for myself, the way I worked 10 years ago doesn't work now. I have to upgrade my work habits. And the way I do that is I simplify. And we have, so for all of our tasks, what we really want to consistently push ourselves to be thinking about is how can I scale back, streamline and seek help? So I'll use myself, for example, I am a former consultant, which means I'm really good with PowerPoint. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) My team is like, yeah, 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 uh, we know, right? Um, But that is not a good use of my time, formatting PowerPoint. So I am sometimes tempted to do the formatting, but I know it's better for me to seek help for that because I can't meet the higher kind of volume of my work if I keep working the way I used to work. So for every task, it's so important for us to think about whether we're applying the simplify filter. Am I scaling back, streamlining, and seeking help? And this is not about cutting corners. This is about reaching our goals in a more effective way so really, we are amplifying our work. And I imagine delegation is a big part of that. Yes, yes. I love working with senior executives. Uh, I notice that they're very good at making decisions. So they, and they, and they, they don't strive for perfectionism. Um, they, of course, they, they are dotting I's and crossing T's and, and, and ensuring that the details are covered. I'm not endorsing sloppy work. But what I love to observe in senior executives is that they have figured out the skill of keeping things simple. They don't overanalyze. They don't explore 19 options. They explore the top three options. They lean on their advisors. Right, so they um, they they aim for a high bar, but they don't aim for perfection. So there's a lot that they do very effectively to simplify their work. 
And okay, so delegate, so you mentioned also scaling back and streamlining. So some examples of those. So streamlining, um, I'm a big fan of checklists, automated processes. Uh, if you send out a, a, so checklist is a huge opportunity and there's a lot of room in the legal industry for checklists. There's a great book called The Checklist Manifesto by Atul Gawande. And in this book, he highlights the power that checklists have had in construction, aviation, healthcare, uh, a lot of industries with a number of unknowns, a number of variables like the legal industry. And so I'm often recommending to lawyers to introduce more checklists. Um, press And the checklists can be see and do or do and check, but the checklists help us kind of go through processes, standardized processes, and not have to reinvent the wheel each time. Uh, precedence is another great way to standardize, um, and avoid reinventing the wheel, um, automating processes, right? Like I think that the one we can all relate to is automatic bill payment, electronic e-transfers as opposed to checks, like whatever we can do to automate recurring steps, capturing common emails that you send let's say that your clients can, you know, and can you keep those somewhere you know, where you can easily pull them and then customize them as needed? So those are some examples. Yeah, yeah. Super helpful. And then I guess for me, the scaling back too is a, a big challenge. Like, wow, something comes up and it's like, whoa, it's, there's that, um, you know, that someone's dangling a carrot in front of me. And like, oh, yes, how can I not take on this? It seems like a wonderful opportunity. Um, yeah. So any suggestions there? Absolutely. So scaling back really ties back into part one and part two. So part one is about determining what your core priorities are. So let's say from a business development perspective, uh, you are looking to get really involved in your industry association. And then someone dangles that really enticing carrot of, you know, why don't you start a newsletter? And you might be really intrigued by that, but the the challenge is you might be spreading yourself too thin. And this is where I encourage people to be very crystal clear on their core priorities. Because yes, it, you know, on the one hand, maybe it's only an hour to write a blog post for a newsletter, but on the other hand, that takes time away from your existing core priorities. So it's so important for us to be really clear on what we're saying yes to right now. And it's not like we're saying no forever to the other things. We're just saying, no, not right now. We might revisit it next month, next quarter, next year. That's one way. And then of course, the pay ourselves first approach ensures that we protect time for what we value first, uh, most first before we say yes to these other enticing offers. The other things that we can do to scale back include things like not attending the meeting, sending someone in your place, uh, scaling the meeting back to half an hour instead of an hour, if someone asks for your advice, seeing if you can jump on a 15-minute phone call with them instead of taking an hour to craft out a, um, a, a detailed answer, you know, investigating three options instead of 17. These are some examples of scaling back. Yeah. And I, I imagine that once you sort of start to do it, that you start to feel less burdened. And as a result, that becomes motivation to continue to do and to do it more often. Absolutely. Um, we're all on this journey. We all, every day, you know, to make the most of our time, it benefits us all for every single one of our tasks to consider, 
how can I streamline scale back seek help? Now, Shelly, I have a tendency to do the opposite. I have a, I, my inclination is to complicate and to spend more time than I need to and analyze more options than I need to and obsess over decisions. So that is something that I, and I think that was kind of really drilled into me as a management consultant. And I think a lot of lawyers could probably relate to that um, kind of due to the level of precision required in this industry. Uh, so this is something that we want to be challenging ourselves on a daily basis with every single task. Am I working through this task in the most effective way? And just quickly going through that checklist, how can I streamline scale back, seek help? And I provide a number of different uh, options in the book. And there's there's bonus resources like with a, a simplified filter checklist available. Um, that kind of discipline of asking yourself these questions is so helpful. Oh, yeah, definitely providing some kind of structure uh, to it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I can't say enough about um, about the book and the strategies and the presentation of it and the, you know, accessibility of the information and the resources that you provide and the exercises. So highly, highly recommend that everyone take a read through it. Uh, I'm just wondering if there's anything, Anne, that we didn't touch on that would be helpful to pass on to listeners. You know, the one, the final thing I'd love to say is that this is very doable. These three strategies, they're not hard. For all of your listeners, Shelly, they do hard things every day. These things are not hard. They simply require a slight paradigm shift and the commitment to a new habit for each of the three principles. And after that, I find people kind of are off to the races. So I, I really want to kind of make sure there isn't this kind of anxiety associated with, holy moly, this all sounds like a lot. It's not. It's straightforward, practical. um, And I would even go so far as to say easy. And you know what? I would add even another word, which is fun. (laughs) The more we embrace these principles, the easier our days are, though we kind of reign in work that can get a little unruly and out of control. And, And this makes for a more satisfying career. We, we have a bigger impact. Our, our days are still, you know, ch- demanding. It's a demanding career, but we also have time for our personal life. And that's about making this amazing full life. That's my vision of, that's my mission. That's what this book is designed to achieve. Yeah. Wow. Wonderful. Wonderful. So how can listeners learn more about you and find the book? If they want to purchase it. Well, thank you, Shelley. So the book is available wherever books are sold. A Workday Warrior. And you can learn more about me on my website, clearconceptinc.ca, or Google me and ideally my website should pop up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's hoping. Uh, oh, no doubt, no doubt. Well, Anne, thank you again. What a wonderful and illuminating discussion. Uh, always such a delight speaking with you. I feel the same about you, Shelley. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me today on the XL Legal Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. I'm always looking for topic and guest ideas. So if you have any suggestions for future episodes, I'd love to hear from you at xllegal.com. That's E-X-E-L-L-E-G-A-L.com.